welcome to All About Friendships, brought to you by the HomeServe Foundation. I'm Georgie Frost, and in this series, we aim to lift the lid on apprenticeships. I'll be talking to celebrities, politicians, experts, and organisations like the British Army. Plus, we'll be following a group of apprentices on their journey to find out what it's really like. We'll meet our five apprentices later on in this episode, as well as talking to Apprenticeship Minister Gillian Keegan, who actually began her own career as an apprentice. It was my maths teacher said to me you know look maybe maybe the best route for you will be to um, try an apprenticeship because then you can work but you can also further your studies and clearly you've shown that you can do it with getting 10 no levels but this would be a great route for you it was brilliant three years in the car factory going around every single part of the business not only am I the first apprentice to be apprenticeship and skills minister I am the world's biggest fan of apprenticeships because it completely changed my life but before all that my first guest today is Issa Mutlip, Chief Executive of the BAME Apprenticeship Alliance. Welcome, Issa. What exactly is the BAME Apprenticeship Alliance and, and how did it all get started? Yeah, so, so the uh, BAME Apprenticeship Alliance uh, started in 2017 on the back of a an award ceremony that we were running at the time called the Asian Apprenticeship Awards. And the purpose of the organization is to promote apprenticeship diversity through policy, uh, advocacy and conversation. So policy being the uh, policy and encourage organizations to do more around apprenticeship diversity. Uh, advocacy is about going out there talking about apprenticeships and skills, particularly to uh, the communities that are uh, we are uh, aiming to speak with. And conversations is the sharing of best practice among employers uh, that we work with and the wider public. What gap were you seeking to fill at the time? Like what challenge was it trying or is it is it aiming to meet? There is a, uh, a, a well-known uh, underrepresentation within apprenticeships from minority communities. And our uh, mission objective is to ensure that uh, organizations are resourced well in terms of being an organization uh, that promotes apprenticeship diversity, but also ensuring that communities are aware of the different opportunities out there, uh, particularly with employers which are uh, not necessarily uh, accessible through uh, existing means. So it's about really showcasing the different opportunities that are out there uh, with employers that may not necessarily have been available or presentable to uh, young people within minority communities, particularly from uh, un- underserved or disadvantaged backgrounds. You say there's a, a representation issue. What do you put that down to? So there's a variety of issues. Uh, I mean, the primary one is that there is a, or has been historically, a, a focus for universities and universities being the uh, the golden egg for uh, exit from uh, the social socioeconomic issues that are, that currently exist within minority communities, and apprenticeships never really been seen as a alternative route up until a few years ago, when more and more apprentices from minority communities are coming to the surface and uh, being more uh, being more of a prominent prominent alternative to university. So it's it's more it's more the case of lack of understanding of other opportunities that are out there. Do you think there's a a tipping point that will be reached, and and wh- how do you think we're going to get to that point among BAME some BAME communities in the real appreciation and awareness 
of apprenticeships? The point will come where there'll be a lot more people who have taken apprenticeships from uh, uh, who are from minority backgrounds. And these are the, the case studies that we'll be seeing over the years, that or over the next few years that, are, that will be completing their qualifications and really showcasing their talents through the work they do, particularly show, talking about apprenticeships and, and the opportunities that it's given them. And that's probably where the more and more uh, cases we get, the more and more uh, prominence in apprenticeships get within uh, minority communities. Are there historically any sectors which have been perhaps more challenging for those from BAME backgrounds when it comes to apprenticeships? Or is this an issue across the board? And are any sectors actually doing much better? You can say generally there there is a, a consensus that there is a, uh, a good amount of interest in each of the various sectors. But if you were to dig down in, into the data, sectors such as healthcare, uh, finance and legal, these are where the sectors where you'll find a significant uptake. Whereas sectors like construction uh, and uh, digital skills are uh, heavily underrepresented. And it, it comes back down to understanding of the different sectors. So, for example, let's take construction uh, as an example. Our perception of construction is bricklaying or uh, on the building side. But uh, as we go further into the construction sector, we see that there is a technology a gap that needs to be filled. Uh, there is a, uh, a digital gap that needs to be filled. There is a, a variety of different uh, uh, opportunities in within the, the different sectors. And as uh, each sector expands further, we'll see more and more prospective apprentices being exposed to the different opportunities that are out there. And that's probably where the gaps will be filled. Your website talks about wanting to bring real action and change. What do you mean by that? What real action and change is needed and how is it going to be delivered? Our uh, real action, is it comes in twofold. One is through the organisation, organisational change, and really building a culture for apprentices to thrive as individuals, but also thrive uh, as uh, a team uh, uh, and as apprentices within their qualification. And that's all about building the culture. But also uh, when it comes to uh, local communities, local grassroots level, it's about really understanding what the needs are within the communities and actually bringing the employers directly into the different communities to say that whether it be schools or social enterprises to say, these are the different opportunities that are out there for you. What bar- what gaps can we fill for you to ensure that that process is easy for you to make the application or make the choice of a career a pathway that uh, is suitable for yourself. I'm conscious to not put this all on the government because obviously there's a whole range of issues around this. But is the government doing enough to address your concerns, to incentivize businesses? The, the government have uh, introduced a number of initiatives um, over the last uh, couple of years, and it, it it can be early to tell whether the there is a uh, having having an impact, but what we are seeing is an uptake, but a slow uptake. And what the government is now looking to do is to really dig down deeper into where the uh, the gaps that need to be filled are. I believe we will now be seeing more uh, impact, more um, work from the government in terms of ensuring that the apprenticeship diversity uh, remit is met. However. We recognise that the government need to do more and they recognise they need to do more. 
and uh, I think that the pandemic should be a a catalyst to and, and post pandemic should be a catalyst to ensuring that the government are held accountable but also are uh, delivering on uh, ensuring that apprenticeships are uh, well represented. Our yeah, our message to the minister and government is that a lot more needs to be done around uh, apprenticeship diversity. We should we should this is an opportunity to uh, address it rather than uh, take a back uh, step and focus on other issues and focus on the core issues. This has to become a core issue, as we have seen with um, the pandemic. It actually exposed some of the inequalities that are, exist within. Uh, the healthcare system, with the education system, within the the, the very different systems that exist uh, in uh, Britain. If we if we want to be the trailblazing com- uh, trailblazing uh, a country that we we strive to be, then addressing apprenticeship diversity is a must. It's not it's not a uh, it's it's not something that should be something. Uh, that should be seen secondary, it should be primary. The Department for Education are looking to work with us uh, and to ensure that, that more can be done. And it's about keeping that momentum going. Thank you so much, Issa Mutlib, Chief Executive of the BAME Apprenticeship Alliance. Now, coming up, we'll be meeting our apprentices, but now it's time to speak to someone who actually began her career as an apprentice at the age of 16 with Delco Electronics and in February this year was appointed to the role of Minister for Apprenticeships and Skills. Julian Keegan, a very warm welcome to All About Apprenticeships. Before we get into a little bit more detail about what Issa was saying, and I'd love to hear what you have to um, comment on that, I do want to start by talking about your experience as an apprentice yourself. What exactly did you do and why for you at that time was it a good option? Well hi Georgie um, and thank you for having me. Um, Well actually I'm the first apprentice who uh, has become an apprenticeship minister Um, and and that gives me a great vantage point. The the reason I did an apprenticeship is I grew up in a place called Knowsley in in Liverpool and I went to a normal comprehensive school um, and anyone who works in education knows that actually um, the nosy comprehensive schools, um, you know, you just don't get the best results. Actually, <laughs> they've got huge problems or they did in, uh, in those days. Um, and I'd actually left school. I got 10 O-levels, which was a miracle in itself. But I just, just didn't really have anywhere to go with them. You know, there wasn't very many options. There wasn't many jobs. I left school in the 80s. So, you know, there was hardly any jobs as well. So um, it was my maths teacher who said to me, you know, look, maybe maybe the best route for you will be to um, try an apprenticeship because then you can work, but you can also further your studies. And clearly you've shown that you can do it with getting 10 O-levels, but this would be a great route for you. So I applied for quite a lot of apprenticeships and I was really lucky to get one uh, in. It was a General Motors car factory in Kirby, a place called Kirby, not not far from where I lived. Um, And it was amazing. It was it would now be called a rotational degree level apprenticeship it didn't have anything uh, uh, like that fancy name uh, in the day but um, it was brilliant three years in the car factory going around every single part of the business 
one day we'd go in first of all to an FE college and then to Liverpool John Moores uh, University it was actually Liverpool Poly when I started and Liverpool John Moores by the time I finished um, so it took me uh, it took me a while but it was just a brilliant way of learning first of all because you went around all of the business you, you pretty much there was only a few people who understood how the whole thing worked because not many people get to move around a business so rapidly and secondly going and studying at the same time and that transfer of knowledge from what you're learning in a, in a college or a university and then what you're learning and experiencing in the workplace, I personally think is invaluable. So, uh, you know, not only am I the first apprentice to be apprenticeship and skills minister, I am the world's biggest fan of apprenticeships because it completely changed my life. I don't want to skirt over the, the 10 O levels because um, I, I think that's quite an interesting story in itself. Uh, but it does make you wonder, did you not immediately just think of going to university? Every sixth form in Nosley had closed down within two or three years of me leaving school. So they were in the sort of dying days, as it were. And the reason was not enough kids passed enough O-levels or what they became GCSEs to get A-levels. So they just couldn't build thriving sixth forms and, you know, nobody really passed it. They were mostly for research sits and they did offer a levels but they you were you were never going to go anywhere with them you could see that you know virtually nobody had gone anywhere with them and there was a college um carmel college which was opening up but it was delayed it wasn't quite open yet and therefore that wasn't an option either that became an option later in the 80s uh, but i left school in 84 so you know and it was a time where you couldn't just pick and choose where you wanted to go you couldn't just say oh I'm going to apply to some amazing place over there because it was much more borough by borough it was much more difficult to 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 move around and actually I just didn't know I didn't know where I could go there was nowhere I could see around me I was relying on my teachers really to help so that was and they they did help and and obviously then the business I went to work for really helped Um, but there weren't that many options and I think it's much better now but there are still places in our country and this is why the leveling up agenda is really important there's still places in our country where there really are very few opportunities for people and and that's assuming they even got anything from school sometimes the school experience is so bad that they don't come out with anything I'm just wondering because you you went into business obviously for a long time then had you I guess your second career can I say that in in politics um how has being an apprentice do you think shaped the way that you approach every role that you take on but in, in especially the one you are in now well you're absolutely right Georgie I've just I was so impressed with my apprenticeship it was so effective at taking me from someone who not knew nothing to somebody who actually got all the way to the top of international business and it was the apprenticeship that gave me all the foundations I needed so I've pretty much used it as a way of learning ever since um, so you know after this call I will be doing an, I'm doing a course on managing strategic projects um, in government because it's very different than managing in business and again I'm going to be learning and then I'm going to be implementing it and learning and implementing it because it's a really good way of, of, of trying to 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 get new knowledge um, but even when I decided um, in 2014 randomly to uh, try to become an MP I did sit down and design my own apprenticeship so there's no apprenticeship to be an MP but I sat down and said okay what's all the things you know about that are really good that you can transfer into this role that'll be really valuable and what are all the things you just know nothing about that would be really good for this role that you should you should be able to demonstrate 
it to somebody. Uh, so they'll give you a shot. And the things I wrote down were things like I'd never worked in the public sector. I knew nothing about the NHS and the NHS is so important to everyone in this country. Uh, you know, I hadn't worked in it. I didn't really know much about it. I'd never even been in it, to be honest. Um, I didn't know much about uh, community and community jobs and local councils and what all they do. And they're really valuable stepping stones as well. So I became a councillor. I went on the board of governors of the NHS. I went on the board of the local uh, high street uh, business improvement district. And, and I went to work in Parliament, uh, volunteered one day a week because I didn't know anyone there really either. So I thought it's about building a network. You know, I need to build that network. So I designed my own apprenticeship and spent the next uh, couple of years implementing it on my own. Um, and obviously learning, reading a lot about how the whole thing works, because it's a different world from business world. Mm, I'm wondering, am I right in thinking you're the only degree level apprentice in the House of Commons? I mean, do you think it would be a good idea if perhaps we had more who, who came through that route? I do. And I also think degree level apprenticeships are the best kept secret in this country. I think a lot of people would choose the route if they knew about it, particularly now that you, you know, you have a lot of uh, debt as, as a result of you coming out of a full time university degree now. Uh, we also see quite a lot of people come out after their three years full time and, and somehow discover that it doesn't get them a graduate job. I actually meet a lot of graduates that are doing level four and five apprenticeships or level six apprenticeships because what they studied um, hasn't got the value in the workplace that they thought it had. So they've gone a different route to try and create the, you know, get those skills for themselves. So I think if more people knew about higher level apprenticeships and degree level apprenticeships, I think more people would do them. There's one thing about awareness, and I want to ask you in your role, what you're doing to, to raise that awareness, but also there's a perception attitude. I mean, I, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, if I'd have said to my parents, I want to be an apprentice, I, I don't think they would have been very pleased. I know they wouldn't have been very pleased. And I'm just wondering, because last week's episode, we were talking a lot about how attitudes have changed towards apprenticeships and those who do them. Do you still think, though, there's more work to be done there to for it to be seen perhaps on a par with university education? Or is it already in your mind? In my mind it is because I don't see, you know, why getting a degree one day a week as well as getting a load of work experience is an inferior way at all than sitting. And, and particularly when you've got contact hours of three, six, nine hours. I mean, I did more than that part time. So I, I don't see it as an inferior way. In fact, if anything, I think it's a superior way. But what I say to many, many people, and this is true, during my business career, I've had people from Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, INSEAD, the Instituto de Empresa in Madrid, every, uh, you know, the top educational institutions in the world all work for me from my Liverpool John Moores degree apprenticeship. It, it, you know, why people are... Um, I don't know. I don't know why you get your status from from getting a whole load of debt. Normally, you get your status from making a load of money. It's, uh, it seems bizarre to me that that that's become flipped around in people's heads. But um, but for me, you know, there's fifty percent of the the young people in this country that don't go to university now. Now, what, obviously, when I left school, that was probably around about eighty five percent, maybe even ninety percent. Uh, so many, many poor, more people do get to university, um, but 50% don't. So, you know, I think, first of all, the 50% that don't, they should have really great outcomes. And, you know, apprenticeships at all levels are available at all ages. But, you know, for those that do or do want to get education up to the higher levels, I think higher level apprenticeships, we even go up to master's levels apprenticeships. So, you know, there are all the options 
questions are there. The one I signed off, the standard I signed off the other day was a space engineering technician. I mean, you know, you can do anything. I think most people think for an apprenticeship, they've got old trades in their heads, like, um, you know, bricklaying and plumbing and that kind of thing. But it was never like that. 35 years ago when I did mine, it was what they wanted was they wanted to train people to be the future leaders in their business. That's what they were training. And that's what they got in many cases. Talking though about the more traditional skills that, that you just spoke about there, there's, there's no negative about those. Surely they, are, they play an incredibly important role in all of this. Absolutely. My brother did a joinery apprenticeship and, um, you know, I worked um, building bridges um, for, for, for a few years. So, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I love doing things with my hands. I, I'm super practical. So, you know, if I get to do... Um, a third career, then the construction T level is the one that I absolutely loved. When I went into the virtual open days to, you know, as a mock, as a student, I came away thinking that's the one, that is the one I want to do. And, um, I, and it wasn't just because of the, the fact that, you know, what, what are you doing? You're building, you're, you're building homes, you're building fabulous buildings, you're building communities. Uh, that's so rewarding. But also this, it's highly technical as well. So all of the computer-aided design and all the technology that's involved in the construction industry. Plus, I always wanted to get to the top. So you can always go up to construction management as well as learning a lot about uh, different trades and indeed being able to practice a trade. So I absolutely loved it. So, and of course, everybody knows, and this has been uh, you know known for a long time. I was talking to some of the people in uh, BAE systems who make the submarines, the nuclear submarines, and we're talking about what's the most important job. Now you would think they'd come up with something deeply technical. And they said the welders, the welders are the most important because it's highly skilled. And of course, if you're in a submarine underground in the sea, um, you know, that's the bit that you can't afford to go wrong. I thought, you know, how clearly they, they understood that was quite impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Understanding sort of, I guess, what it's like on the shop floor, if you, especially if you're going to work your way all the way to the top. Um, I come from a family of carpenters and my first job I wanted to be was a brickie. So there you go. Um, in terms of the wider uh, UK economy, where do you see apprenticeships sitting? Just how important are they at the present time, particularly and going forward? They're really important because before, I mean, coronavirus has obviously been devastating for many, well, for obviously uh, from a health perspective, for many people who've lost loved ones, uh, but also we're discovering from an economic perspective as well. And obviously that affects people's prospects, particularly young people. And, um, you know, they're always the first to suffer when there's a problem with um, employment opportunities. So that's why we're very, very much focused on young people with the plan for jobs. But the reason apprenticeships, I think, are a really valuable way that we're going to try and build our economy is before coronavirus I had about six weeks in this job and pretty much every meeting I went to we were talking about skill shortages how do we get over some of the misconceptions and get more people to want to go into construction or digital and IT or nursing and health um, or um, I mean lots and lots teaching um, I think paramedics mental health there's so many that we have massive skill shortages in and it's not just our country in terms of let's take software development I mean clearly software is everywhere right it's part of every business apparently there's something like five there's a global shortage of five million software developers 
global shortage. So this, you know, the big challenge was always how can we get people to, first of all, be aware of these opportunities, secondly, to want to do them and to get the confidence to study in those areas? How can we help them on those paths? And the very, very best way that you can do that in many cases is via an apprenticeship. Plus, of course, if you're working and you're going into work every day, I think in the within a few months you're becoming productive. I mean, you're not fully productive until you know you, you've got more experience, but you're pr- more productive than if you're sat in a classroom somewhere. So you are actually being productive, helping the economy, helping rebuild things, filling vital skills gaps, and you're getting better at those vital skills gaps every day. So to me, they are an essential part because we had these skills gaps anyway. And as I say, not just our country. If you look at um, what countries are going to do to try and recover from coronavirus, um, the, the construction industry is absolutely vital. I mean, in the States, they've even got the same logo, Build Back Better. Every government is going to be investing in buildings and infrastructure because it's about the only thing you can do quickly to stimulate your economy. So there's going to be a massive shortage of construction skills across the globe as well focusing on obviously the the pandemic difficult times skill shortage you know the, perhaps the more optimistic and going forward the future is green according to boris so what role have apprentices got to play in that well a number of roles so we have quite a few standards which are already what you could call green standards in you know in in, in green uh, energy or um like modular building and those kind of things so we've got a couple of standards but we've also been working um with well, myself with a fellow uh, colleague uh, minister for energy uh, quasi kwatung and we set up a greens um uh, jobs uh, task force and what that's doing is looking at we've got a lot of the people who are employed in jobs that are going to become the old jobs the non-green jobs Uh, whether that's building um, manufacturing engines, combustion engines, um, or whether that's um, oil and gas and some of those, uh, you know, uh, other energy sources. And so what we need to do is work out how we can enable them to transfer massive skills that they've already got, but to top up those skills so it can be useful in the new environment. So whether that's working in different materials or whether that's, you know, how we're going to do that, we're going to try and figure out. So we set that task force up with a whole load of different uh, companies, uh, steel companies, energy companies, etc., who are involved in some of these uh, areas. And we are going to uh, ask them to recommend how we can help people go along that journey of uh, upskilling, because a lot of those people will want to we take the opportunities in the new areas um, and we need to help them uh, be able to do that. And plus, we don't want to lose all those skills. A lot of the skills are highly transferable. Indeed, they are. Um, I have to ask you, though, the pandemic and back to that, of course, like, we can't not not discuss it. But it looks likely that young people particularly will bear the economic brunt. Sadly, reports suggesting the current situation has led to more apprenticeships ending in redundancy. What just just lay out what you as a government have done now for the kind of short term, but also in trying to build a pathway to to make sure, like you said, we don't lose this momentum going forward. Well, the first thing we did immediately was try to be more flexible. So we basically introduced flexibility. So uh, obviously employers, employers could furlough apprentices, apprentices could still train whilst they were furloughing. 
Um, we introduced uh, any, everything to, to could go online immediately. So the whole objective was to try and, in fact, even accelerate it possible, because if you're sat at home, maybe you can do more of the training bit whilst you're in that environment if you're not able to go into the front, uh, into the job. Now, we had a number of apprentices that were also in frontline jobs. So we had a, a lot of nursing apprenticeships. So we brought forward the assessment so that they could get onto the front line, you know, as fully quali qualified uh, uh, nurses, those that were towards the end and that happened in a number of key frontline um, jobs. And actually, we did. We had a special award um, uh, recently for those ones who basically straight from an apprenticeship went right on the front line and, you know, did the most incredible things um, to help. Um, you know, at a very young age. So, you know, truly impressive people. So um, so that was the first thing we did. Now, um, under the plan for jobs, we are um, incentivizing uh, people to take on apprenticeships. So that started, um, well, payments date back to 1st of August, and now they've just been extended through to March next year. So um, that uh, is £2,000 for taking on an apprenticeship under apprentice under 24. And if you take a very young apprentice, you can get an extra £1,000 as well. So that's 3000 And 20, uh, 25 and over £1,500, which is kind of a first. We don't usually incentivize the, the older apprentices, but, you know, there's a lot of people who could be, um, you know, because there's been an accelerated shift, because retail has been heavily affected, you know, they could it could be the right time to shift into training something into something else. So uh, we want to encourage that as well. So that's in terms of those uh, sort of the plan for jobs. And of course, we've also introduced things like traineeships, which are like pre-apprenticeships. So they're being used by the construction industry in particular to build a pipeline for those people who are maybe a bit further away from doing a, a higher level apprenticeship, but we can, we can, we can use use a traineeship get them to that stage in terms of the number of redundant apprentices we've actually just published the numbers so this is a hot off uh, uh, hot, hot off the press um, so we just published uh, that there was between August and um, we just published the end of November we have 1,190 apprentices who've been made redundant now we did have much big, bigger figures but that's just people who had stopped their apprenticeship and they could have stopped for many reasons so now we've asked people to tick definitely they're redundant as opposed to they've got a different job or they've moved on to something else or whatever, or they just didn't finish their apprenticeship. Sometimes that happens. So 1,190 uh, redundant apprentices uh, uh, between that period, um, which is, they have been a bit less affected actually than the general uh, cohort of general population. And just to put that into perspective, today, if you go on apprenticeships.gov.uk and you look for a vacancy, there's about 7,000 vacancies. Um, so that's, you know, that's just a, a general vacancies. And we've set up also a new redundancy support service to try and match those people who have been made redundant, because clearly they've got a lot to offer. They're ahead of most people, right? They've got already skills. So we've set up the redundancy uh, support services and we've got more than a thousand employers who are advertising specifically for redundant apprentices uh, on that as well. So we're trying to get better at matching those. And I've met now quite a number of apprentices who've been made redundant, but have got another opportunity quite quickly because quite a lot of them are doing things in really skilled areas that we've got massive skills gaps. So it's just been a short term disruption. Hopefully um, we can, um, you know, hopefully those will work. But of course, we'll always keep it under review because we want to uh, support apprentices as much as we can. Of course, and I never want to put a, a dampener on any situation, but we're not out of the woods yet, I think is fair to say, with the pandemic. But um, the one issue that I think is still a, quite a big issue with, with businesses, uh, research by Checker Trade among its members, showing cost 
the single biggest barrier when it comes to taking on an apprentice. Desire is absolutely there. And it sounds like it from you that it really is there. Also, our experts last week that we spoke to welcome the incentives that you've brought in. Absolutely. But question just whether that additional £2,000 on offer, 3000 for the younger apprentices, was really enough to persuade businesses, particularly SMEs who are struggling at this time, to take on apprentices. Could you go further? Do you think that would address the cost issue or is there something else that you could do? Well, the way it works in government is, you know, you're, you're basically, I mean, there's not a person in the country um, at some level who um, hasn't suffered in some way from this coronavirus. And of course, there's a lot of demands on the chancellor's purse, as it were. Uh, so there is a bit of a negotiation for these things. Um, but I think, it, you know, it is interesting in terms of, you know, what would work and what would work better for some businesses clearly during this time if they've been in a sector that's been highly impacted they've been closed a lot um, it's not going to make any difference it's not going to be the time for them to consider growing their business or taking on any staff whether it's an apprentice or anybody else so there are certainly ones in that category <clears throat> but there's also a lot that uh, know that they have to fill skills gaps and know that um, you know if they invest now that actually they will get the returns later now Will this be enough? The question really is, will they wait a bit longer or will this be enough to incentivise them to make the decision now as opposed to wait until July next year, for example? Um, and that's always the challenge, you know. And obviously, you've also got free, the, the kickstart scheme, which is also based on um, young people uh, for 16 to 24 year olds. And that's an important part of what we've done for young people, because if people are wavering about an apprenticeship, the kickstart scheme is a really good option because that's six months. The government pay the wages uh, up to, um, I think it's 25 hours a week. And they also then after that, you, you could take them on an apprenticeship afterwards. So if that's where you're struggling, then maybe maybe kickstart's a really good option if you just want to buy that extra time because the government then pays uh, the wages. But you've got to um, you know, obviously have a real opportunity because we want young people to be getting real skills and real opportunities so that you know, after six months, they can take on an apprenticeship and they can, or they can go into full-time work. There's clearly a lot, of, a lot of work here going on. I mean, we spoke earlier as well to... Issa Mutlib, earlier in this podcast from the BAME Apprenticeship Alliance, he was very complimentary about the, the work that you've been doing, the work that the government's doing. But of course, he said there's still more. And, and hopefully we always say this in whatever we do, there's still more to be done, particularly to increase diversity and access to apprenticeships and, and awareness as well in minority communities. Is I assume that's something that you're keen to see and to work with more? Absolutely. I mean, as I said at the beginning, apprenticeships are still the best kept secret in this country. And in, in you know, trying to reach the, the black and ethnic minority community um, with through, through ESA and his group who do an amazing job. Uh, in fact, we, we, I spoke at their conference recently, you know, to try, to try and reach people, make sure they're aware of them. And more than that, give them the confidence to try. Because there's another thing, if you come from a disadvantaged background or you don't have people with role models or, or whatever around you, and I definitely found this when I started out in my career, getting that confidence to try, you know, getting over that fear of failure is, is quite a big thing. Um, for some people and you know that's the other thing about apprenticeships that I love you know when I walked I was terrified when I walked into a car factory with two and a half thousand people and all these machines and the smell of metal and you know clocking on and all these really unfamiliar things 
But what made me love the experience was the people. And I think the great thing about apprenticeships is the support that goes with them. Everybody wants to help young people. Everyone wants to help you get on in life. And, you know, everybody wants to help those more disadvantaged um, communities more than ever. So um, it's it's awareness and building that confidence. And I, I'm with Issa. I won't stop either until everybody uh, knows about the opportunity and many, many more um, black and ethnic minority people or people from disadvantaged backgrounds um, take, take up apprenticeships. They are the best tool for social mobility. And I know that from my personal experience, but, you know, the, the thing that's really clear to me is that the, the, the talent is very evenly spread in this country, but the opportunity isn't. And apprenticeships are a brilliant way to level up that opportunity. Before I let you go, and thank you so much for all your time, just one, when you leave this role eventually uh, to become the Prime Minister, um, what do you hope to achieve? What would you like it to have looked like? And how bright is the future for apprenticeships in the UK? I'd like the competition to degree for degree apprenticeships to completely outstrip anything else. I'd like there to be loads more of them so it was a genuine option. I'd like you to be able to, if you wanted to be, and by the way, this is the system does this today. If you want to go into space engineering, accountancy, law, HR, uh, any type of engineering, any type of construction, digital, data, cybersecurity. If you want to go into any of those jobs, there is an apprenticeship available. People, if they want to take that role, will probably be considering maybe doing a T-level and then they'll go into a high-level apprenticeship and they'll get their, 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 their qualifications that way. And for, the, for people to basically get the jobs, you know, highly paid jobs. This is this is what we're trying to, to deliver here. Um, and at any age, I've just come across some wonderful people who, similar to the kids I went to school with, left with no O-levels or GCSEs. And that kind of just really limits your opportunities in life. You know, you, you end up with kind of low-skilled jobs and you go from one to the other. And I'll leave you with the story of uh, Andy, who, who was one of my favourites. Uh, there's also Peggy, who's a nurse, who's another one. Uh, but Andy had worked for 20-odd 20, 20 years as a cleaner uh, in three different venues, uh, one a nightclub toilet cleaner, which I can't imagine I would last for very long in that job. Anyway, he'd done this for years. And because he had no levels or GCSEs, he left with nothing. And then he saw an advert for apprenticeship uh, with an ambulance service and it started off at level two uh, but you can go all the way up to level six paramedic uh, when I met him he was on level four and he just said it's just changed my life it, so you know I've now I've now got a skill job I'm a management role uh, my kids look at me totally different you know they're now kind of getting more interested in 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 their in their studies and and, and what the difference it can take you because they've seen his life be transformed it transforms lives. I want to be able to transform lives at any age, at any stage. Plus, I'd like the skills of our nation to be right up there competing with um, the best in the world. Thank you so much, Apprenticeship Minister Gillian Keegan. This podcast is all about apprenticeships and who knows more about apprenticeships than the apprentices themselves. So we've recruited a team of five from a range of sectors and during the series, we'll be checking in on them. So let's meet them. Hello there, my name is Lance Corporal Griffin. I work within the British Army in the Army Air Corps. I've been serving in the Army now for seven years and I'm working on a level three apprenticeship within the Army, working with aviation systems. Uh, the reason why I chose to do the apprenticeship is because it gives me a greater opportunity to have a qualification, the job I do within the Army. So if I ever wanted to leave in the future, it gives me the opportunity to have that um, 
resource and ability to work in the civilian industry if I do need to in the future. Hello, my name is BB, currently an apprentice at White Hat studying AAT Level 4 and I also work at a charity think tank called Demos. I wanted to be a mass qualified teacher and in order to go to teaching you'll have to have a degree and to have a degree you have to attend university but university seems to be very expensive therefore I decided that in order for me to gain a qualification and actually work experiences at the same time is to become an apprentice. I believe being an apprentice is a win-win situation where you'll earn, learn and gain qualification at the end of it. It's a win-win situation also because I will not only develop my um, knowledge but I will actually develop my professional skills and being an accountant apprentice proved to be enjoyable because I get to use my analytical skills and rational thinking into real life work. Hello, I'm Sam. I'm 20 years old and I'm a gas engineer apprentice for HomeServe. I've decided to become a gas engineer when I left school because it's a very good trade to be in. You're never out of work. Every day is a learning curve. You learn something new every single day. And I enjoy it very much. Hi, I'm Jasmine. I'm 19 years old and I'm from Norwich. I'm in my second year of my housing policy and a practice degree of friendship with Flagship Group and I'm loving it. I'm currently studying my level four qualification in housing before I progress onto level five and six degree in charter management. I chose this apprenticeship because I knew that I wanted to continue my education further and gain a degree, but I really didn't want to go to university. This apprenticeship is great because it combines a degree, a salary, and I gain vital hands-on experience in the workplace. Hi, I'm Dexter. I'm 21 years old and I live in Epsom in Surrey. I am a level six digital marketing degree apprentice um, and I work at the Edge Foundation, which is a small education charity. I started my career there back in 2017 as a level three digital marketing apprentice. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there doing the level three apprenticeship. So took on the offer of a level six straight away. I've always enjoyed kind of working on the job um, and getting my hands stuck into tasks. Um, ever since I started working at 14, so an apprenticeship's definitely kind of suited to my needs. Thank you so much to our apprentices. As I said, we'll be checking in on them during the series to see how they get on. Thank you also, of course, to Apprenticeship Minister Julian Keegan and Issa Mutlib from the BAME Apprenticeship Alliance. And to you, of course, for listening to this episode of All About Apprenticeships. Next week, we'll be catching up with the British Army to find out about its very successful apprenticeship programme. Plus, we'll chat in depth to the first of our apprentices. If you have any questions or comments or anything you'd like to say or your own experiences, we'd love to hear from you. You can find the HomeSurf Foundation on Twitter at HSV underscore foundation. Just use the hashtag all about apprenticeships. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a rating and hit subscribe wherever you found us. It helps other people to find us too.